cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 2nd, 2009. Newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and on the front page you'll see all the other sites I have up, all containing pretty well the same stuff. Hundreds of talks I've given in the past, which you can download for free. And you can also take your choice and bookmark these particular sites in case any of the other ones go down if the comm site or Yahoo sites go down because there is trouble brewing in the future as the rains are tightened, big moves are afoot it's not imagination they've published a lot of stuff in the newspapers about the reining in of those sites which are basically politically incorrect so if you see the other sites there bookmark them and you'll know you can always get me somewhere else you've got cuttingthrough.jenkness.com that's a good standby for it can take a heavy load, a lot of use and you've also got cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca. You've got Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca as well. And Alan Watt, sentinel.eu. That's the European site. And it also has the same audios, plus it has some transcripts of some of the audios written in the various languages of Europe. Uh, now, those people who donate to me, I really appreciate it. It's always the same people over and over. And thousands and thousands listen because we'll crash sites before people downloading from uh, the comm site. And uh, I'd appreciate if some of them who've taken a lot of information from me uh, would help me keep going by repaying me at least a dollar or two once in a blue moon would, would help. That would keep me going on the air because I don't get paid. I don't ask for money from any of the shows I'm on. I don't ask for money from advertisers, and that's what pays all the other hosts. That's how they make their living. But the advertising on my shows goes straight to RBN to pay for the station time. It pays for uh, the engineers and their equipment and all other bills. Therefore, it's up to you to keep me going. You can find out how by looking into cuttingthroughmatrix.com. You can donate to me through PayPal, personal check. It's fine within the U.S. and Canada. Or you can use abroad. You can use Western Union or even there's a, there's a couple of other methods, moneygrams and so on, that are acceptable across the planet now. And for those who just get the disks burned and passed around, and there's lots of them do, who don't bother with the computer and my hearts go out to them, I don't like the computer myself. You can always write to me at Alan Watt, site 41. Box 4, Estaire, E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, 1, P-3-E-4-N-1. And yes, I've read the articles on the air about ICANN being given basically official world power over all internet sites and names and domain names and all the rest of it and licensing basically that's what that is licensing 
and they go under the guise of a private non-profit organization, which is nonsense because you follow their history and they're just a branch of the National Security Agency and were helped to start up by that NSA and DARPA. You'd never give a private organization this kind of power. Never. It's amazing how the illusions are put out to the public. It truly is amazing how we seldom ask. And, of course, the media doesn't ask for us. We have to think and check things for ourselves to find out what's behind these big foundations and charitable organizations. I'll be back with more after these messages. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. I generally try and use documents written by the big players that uh, globetrot around the world for their entire lives working for this beautiful, wonderful utopia where they're going to bring in the reduced population. And they've told us this themselves in their own publications. They love to boast and write books for each other, knowing that the general public won't really get into their kind of books. They used to lie in library shelves and get covered in dust, and that's where I used to head for because it's astonishing what they tell you. And what's even more astonishing is when they make predictions about their agenda and what they hope for and plan for, you'll live through those years where they'll actually bring it into fruition. That's quite the guessing game, isn't it? Of course, there's no guessing game at all when you belong to a world association that work together with unlimited funding, think tanks, organization, and put your own men in politics. That's what Carl Quigley talked about in his book, Tragedy and Hope. Now, he was a historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. He gave the histories of them beginning off as a, a sort of secretive society, so secretive that it ran the British government for generations, and even the public and even some of the higher members didn't know its name. And that was the Royal Institute for International Affairs with the American branch of the Council on Foreign Relations. They have branches all over the globe in every country. And they have annual meetings, and they have many meetings in between on specialized topics. But one of the globetrotters, of course, is Maurice Strong. He's what's called a technocrat. It's quickly called him, and Brzezinski called him that too, technocrats. The technocrats really are above politics. They are not responsible to the public but as Quigley said, they wield more power, real power, financial and planning and directing power than any politician, prime minister or president. They get things done. And Maurice Strong, when he was brought over from the United Nations and put into Ontario by the Premier of Ontario into Ontario Hydro to privatize the entire energy system that the public had paid for with their electrical systems and nuclear power plants and all the rest of it, he set in motion the plans to privatize it. And at the time, years ago, he said the future, he gave us the future, he said the future would be one where energy is drastically cut for the mass of the people. And they'll have to get used to it and trained, be trained to get used to it. You couple 
couple that with the statements I've read from the big organizations that work with Maurice Strong, where they say that no other country could possibly arrive or should arise as high as America and its standard of living. And in fact, they said it's better if they dismantle all of the factories and all of the workplaces in America and reduce it back to natural wilderness. These are the characters that want the world to themselves as they live in their small, brand-new, high-tech, domed cities. And we seem to forget the power they have over many corporations and international corporations. In fact, many of the big boys, the founders, the owners of the foundations, own these international corporations. The easiest way to get things done on the planet is to use the government as a tool. It's a tool, you see, of the parallel government, as Quigley called it and Margaret Thatcher called it. Mr. Blair is never a member of it, too. They get the, the real work done behind the scenes. They're not elected. They're, they're not responsible to the public. They don't have to answer to the public. And as Margaret Thatcher says, they never retire. And they all know each other across the world. Bureaucrat, High-level bureaucrats, prime ministers, presidents, vice presidents, etc. That's how it works. But they use government as a tool. Many of their members are put into government, and Quigley said that himself. But since the 1960s, he said, already for 60 years, in the 1960s, he says, this parallel government has run the political direction of every Congress they've had in the U.S. because they always put their top man in as president. doesn't matter what party they belong to. Which is simple, isn't it? One guy at the top, everybody else below them, is a trained SEAL who wants to get up there and make a name for themselves and be goody and always vote with the party. And they do what the boss wants them to do. It's very simple. But government essentially is a tool for these big foundations that, that, as I say, run. These foundations, remember, are owned by incredibly large bankers, international bankers, with real wealth across the planet. They own the world's natural resources. They've been... They've been scooping up the natural resources long before Rockefeller came along. Across Canada, when you go into Canada, who owns what? You look at Sudbury quite near me, a mining town, looking at the library there. A photograph from the 1800s had the biggest building there, and it was, it was in the square. It was called the Rockefeller Building. Rockefeller Square. Not Rockefeller, Rothschild Square, sorry. Rothschild Square. Anything to do with my, mining... Uh, ores, and we forget too the London Metals Exchange was all, all run by the Rothschild family too, still is today. All metals for the world that gets traded across the sea goes through there. They set the prices. There are hills with gold in them in Nova Scotia. They were, they were, they were given the patents to the Rothschilds back in the 1800s. They've never been mined yet. And of course the Rothschilds are only one family that helped set up the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, which joined with the Milner Foundation, all made up by bankers, and became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. So when these guys write about stuff, you better believe them. They already own the world. It's their system in which we live. And right now, they're changing their system. They're upgrading it into the next phase, which they call a new world order themselves. 
or they can get their proposals through to stop us using energy and cut us back. Make a crisis out of everything, healthcare, work, unemployment, all the rest of it. Then on goes the depopulation agenda. And they train us at the same time to use less and less energy until, of course, we'll cross the line where the, the vital energy you need for survival is gone as well. We're, we're below that standard, too. That is the agenda. And Maurice Strong talked about that, as I say, when they plonked him in from the United Nations for a year or two in Ontario Hydro, when he set up the process that his pals, of course, Ontario Power Corps, would take over and get all of the facilities the taxpayers had built up for energy and electricity, including the nuclear power stations, for peanuts. Peanuts. Then he was back to the United Nations as soon as it was over. And that's what we're seeing happening now. Now, it's happening across the globe at the same time because these boys are international and they have their foundations and organizations running the whole world now. Every government runs by them. They're on board with the world agenda because the connecting hub is the United Nations and they all sign on to the treaties. Here's an article here from The Telegraph and it's 26th of June, 2009. Energy bills, energy bills rise by 23% in a year. Energy prices have risen by 22.7% over 12 months in real terms, according to the official statistics. The price rise between the first quarter of 2008 and first quarter of 2009 included 19.7% real-term increases in domestic electricity charges, 34.8% for gas, 28.9% for coal and smokeless fuel. The quarterly energy prices document showed that the rate of overall increases in fuel prices had fallen since the previous publication in March when it stood at 34.3%. The figures were compiled by the Office for National Statistics. Remember in Orwell's 1984, they had an Office for National Statistics. They kept spouting statistics. Most of them were fake and bogus, but it didn't matter. But it showed that the average standard credit electricity bill in 2008 was £405. This is Britain. £22 pounds up on the previous year. Then they go into what they can do for the elderly and give them credits and all the rest of it, and yada, yada, yada. But all this way, all this stuff is for us to use less energy. And believe you me, when you're broke, and lots and lots of people in Britain now are dead broke. They've been for years. They're getting shown tips on how to use less energy. Why? Is there a shortage? No, but they're going to create a shortage, you see because they're going to dismantle things. And years and years ago, when Mr. Strong was in, as I say, on, put in there at Ontario Hydro, he said they were not going to renew or upkeep the, the present facilities. That gave you the whole clue to the future. And at the same time, he made provisions with government to put in massive diesel generators to keep vital offices and vocational factory here and there still going. And no one in the press asked, what's this all about? At a time of supposed plenty. They planned it long ago, what's happening today. Here's another one here. This is from the Royal Society. The Royal Society, check its history for yourself, they're open about it, was set up as the first Freemasonic scientific society that was eventually to rule all scientific thought stemming from England. Every famous person
comparison down through history, including Newton was a member of it. And they're into politics, of course, because they're all on board with the big foundations and they're all Institute for International Affairs. In fact, they're interchangeable, the members. Uh, this says here, energy bills are too low to combat climate change. So I just read the one about it going up by 26% or something. Energy bills are too low to combat climate change, which is a, a bogus thing to start with. Royal Society report says current government policy is not enough to pay for green technology. We know what green technology is. It's electricity for a few in the future because you can only run a few homes off the windmills, and they know this too. And I'll be back with more on this from this topic after these messages. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the Matrix, reading an article to do with basically paying more and more and more for energy, and all the big institutions and foundations and NGOs are coming out advocating this, that we all get put into the poorhouse, because it's part of another agenda, you see, a different agenda altogether. As the United States, you see, finishes off the job of standardizing the world into one system, then they themselves have to be brought down to match the system they've helped created across the world. It's a leveling process, has been called. And we already saw it. We saw it with the factories going off through, through the GATT Treaty, off to China. That took years of planning with the State Department uh, and other countries, foreign affairs departments, planning this stuff and signing agreements to set it all up. And Eventually, no one could stay at home if they wanted to make a profit and compete with China, so they all moved to China. That was all set up by government. It enabled them to do this. So that's one part of impoverishment, you see. And it makes you interdependent, as they call it. Interdependence also means that not one article is, is really made completely in one country. We already see that with the cars and various other products where parts come from all different parts of the, country, the world and then are assembled somewhere. Interdependence. But they're really bringing the world down to a common standard of living. They want a peasant class worldwide, ultimately, and a technocratic or technocratic class and bureaucratic class that will globetrot across the world, according to Jacques Attali in his book, Millennium, Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order. But the rest of the people will be trapped within their own areas, obviously, under the guise of security or, or whatever guise they use, and you can't leave. Although we said lots will try to leave America, looking for work abroad. The next boat people, he called them. So here's the Royal Society doing their bit, as they say, from the, in The Guardian, and they say, in a Royal Society study to be published today, the experts, you know the experts, those special people from special rooms, said that the government must put research into alternatives to fossil fuel much higher among its prior priorities and argued that current policy in the area was half-hearted. They're not, they're not expensive enough. That's really what they're telling you. So they want to really jack up the prices and double or triple them. And actually there's articles in the other papers that are talking about just that, doubling or, and tripling within a year or two. 
says we've adapted to an energy price which is unrealistically low. That's what they said years ago when they first started jacking it up. It's unrealistically low. And we're going to try and preserve the environment. The environment, it's all for the environment, you understand. John Shepard, a climate scientist, his job is to scare us all at Southampton University and co-author of the report said, we have to allow the economy to adapt to higher energy prices through carbon prices, and that will make them things like renewable and nuclear more economic as carbon-based alternatives become more expensive. So the power of the purse, mandated via government policy, is going to get us all in the poorhouse and burning candles if we're lucky. Mind you, you have a carbon tax to pay on that candle. Shepard admitted higher energy costs would be a hard sell to the public, but said it was not unthinkable. No, they've been thinking about it for a long time, because it's the mandate. Part of the revenue, the taxes, could be generated by a carbon tax that took the place of value-added tax. So the cost of an item took into account the energy and carbon footprint of a product. What utter gibberish. Utter gibberish. This would allow people to make appropriate decisions. Appropriate decisions made on magic. Magic formulations. Astonishing what we're sold, isn't it? So make appropriate decisions on your spending and also raise cash for research into alternatives. When I was young, I looked at the cars and so on. And I, I thought, you know, they've had these for so many years. Why haven't they given us something different? Well, you see, it was never intended in the long-term 100 years plan to have people traveling on the roads that weren't authorized. And those that would be authorized would be essential services only. That's in Agenda 21 at the United Nations, the agenda for the 21st century. They knew that 100 years ago. That's why. That's why since the 60s and the 70s onwards, they haven't been fixing the roads and all the rest of it. In or around the cities. That's why. That's why they haven't given you any, any alternative transportation because they don't want a mobile populace in the upcoming utopia. You'll have your own, your own areas to live inside. In fact, you'll have to have your ID and passes to get outside your region, as they call them. But this is how they, they sell gibberish to the public. Gibberish. Utter gibberish. And here's one from the U.S., the Wall Street Journal. And the most important part is at the top of the page. It says, we'll need to raise taxes soon. And underneath it, it says, expect Congress to seriously consider a value-added tax. Now, VAT, or value-added tax, was put out in Britain. Britain tries everything first, and everyone follows them, because it's a flagship for the New World Order. And... The value-added tax was sold to the public with the usual lies, because everything starts with lies, uh, when they always know where they're going to take it at the beginning. And they said it would be on, on things which were luxury items only. And before you knew it, it shot up to about 15%. And it gradually went to cover every item across the board, which it does today. We're back with more on VAT after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
cutting through the matrix, reading an article from, this is the Wall Street Journal, about it's June the 30th, 2009, we'll need to raise taxes soon. No kidding. When you see what the U.S. is spending right now, I've just been reading about their, their new embassies they want to put up in Pakistan and Afghanistan across the Middle East. Billions and billions for each embassy. It's astonishing. Billions. It's throwing money like crazy. It says here, only five months after Inauguration Day, the focus of Washington's economic and domestic policy is already shifting. This reflects the emergence of much larger budget deficits than anyone expected. No kidding. It's all big surprising. Indeed, federal deficits may average a stunning $1 trillion annually, annually, over the next 10 years. This worsened outlook is stirring unease on Main Street and beginning to reorder priorities for President Barack Obama and a Democratic congressional leadership. By 2010, reducing the deficit will become their primary focus. Then they go through all the usual nonsense with, with, uh, with different percentages and all the rest of it and projected debts, etc. in the future. And, so, and then they look at different ways of getting the money in. Well, there's only one way government gets money, and that's from the people who pay taxes. And many of the taxes you pay are all hidden already in everything that you buy. Multiple taxes, in fact. But they want to bring in, really are thinking of bringing in, a value-added tax. Now, remember, after the American Union, uh, and we've already had Mr. Harper, the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, talk about joining with the, the European Union once, once that's completed. So the two big unions will come together the pan-European Union, America-European. And since they've already got value-added tax all throughout Europe, you see, it's only natural they're going to link it in now for Canada and the States, Mexico, and whichever other countries are signed up to join the Amalgamated Americas value-added tax. That's why they're going to bring it in. And there's no point reading the rest of the article because it just takes around in circles like they often do. But I mentioned yesterday how we're just basically given realities by the media. And Joseph Goebbels talked about that too. He says that think of the media as a grand keyboard for us to play on. He was a top propagandist. And that's what the media is. Just a keyboard for them to play on and to get, to get realities across to the public. However fake they may be, doesn't matter. And here's an article I dug up. I, was, I, I read this oh, maybe a year, two years, years ago. And it was Scheherazade in the White House, it says, how George Bush's wartime administration used a magician, Hollywood designers, and Karl Rove telling 1,001 stories to sell the invasion of Iraq by Christian Salmon. And then it goes on about, this is a few days before the 2004 presidential election, Ron Suskind, a columnist who'd been investigating the White House and its communications for years, wrote in the New York Times, I'll put these links up, by the way, including the one from the New York Times, it's in more depth than this article here, and how they give you reality. And it's a science, it's an ancient science of, of formula, of deception, to deceive the public, you see. It says, for years, and wrote in the New York Times about a conversation he had with a presidential advisor in 2002. And I've read the article before, and subsequent articles actually name um, uh, the advisor. It says, the aide said that guys like me, talking about reporters and so on, were in what we call the reality-based community, 
which he defined as people who believe that solutions emerge from your judicious study of discernible reality. Okay? And it's not true for everyone. Even your ideas or understandings of things come from your judicious study of discernible reality. So if someone alters that reality and gives you false facts, etc., you'll have a you'll have a faulty solution. He says, I nodded and murmured something about enlightenment principles and empiricism. He cut me off. That's not the way the world really works anymore. This is where they're talking about the new American century. That's not the way the world really works anymore, he continued. We are an empire now. And when we act, we act, our own, we create our own reality. When we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, as the reporters and so on, judiciously as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities which you can study too. And that's how things will sort out. We're history's actors. And you, all of you, will be left to just, just study what we do. Now, I'm going to read that little bit again. It's so important. So important because it's never been, this, this technique never stops. It's always been used and it's used today. It says, that's not the way the world really works anymore. Top advisor, remember. These are the guys who are trained in the real arts of math psychology. Now to motivate whole nations and how to stir up hate and anger for wars and stuff and all of that, this kind of stuff. Their world is based on deception and appearances. So he says, the aide said that guys like me were in what we call the reality-based community, which he defined as people who believe that solutions emerge from your judicious study of discernible reality. I nodded and murmured something about enlightenment principles and empiricism. He cut me off. That's not the way the world really works anymore, he continued. We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. And while you are studying that reality, now that's like the media and us via the media. We study what we're given as reality. Judiciously as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities which you can study too. And that's how things will sort out. We're history's actors. And you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do. And isn't that the truth? Because years after the events, they can tell us how things were really done and publish it in books. And you'll find that in, in the link that put up to the New York Times, a particular book that goes through how Blair and Bush and different actors got together. And they are called actors on the world stage, officially called actors in their own books. Uh, got together and, and found ways to deceive the public of different countries uh, into a war they'd already planned to have on Iraq. And they even went through the, the chess game of how it would make it appear that the that Iraq had turned down the United Nations for inspection for weapons of mass destruction and how they'd use that legally then to invade Iraq. They, they planned it years ahead. But they take, it's always disclosed after the event. Always. But at the time, look at the lies were told. And people forget it. And what's really amazing, and these guys who create realities, like this advisor here, what they know about the public is that we don't remember. Most of the public don't remember the last big con. It never, it never dawns on them that it's a continuous con. You're never told the truth about anything on any large scale. Never. Never, ever. Francis Bacon, when, when he gave his advice in one of his books to King James, 
told him that. He says, it's, it's best the public never really know the true directions and purposes of government. That's never changed. That's never changed. Machiavelli is alive and well, hasn't died away. People study the techniques. They study techniques of Plato and other people down through history who could use psychology and dialectic upon the masses. It's a science. And all these top advisors are taught the science. And it must always appear to the general public as to be real. Always. Therefore, they all come out at the same time with the same little slogans. That's the end thing, is slogans now. And they say these little catchphrases and until the public parrot them too. Terrorism, terrorism, terrorism. It's all for terrorism. Cecilia Suskin's article was a sensation which the paper called an intellectual scoop. Columnists and bloggers seized on the phrase reality-based community, which spread across the Internet. Google had nearly a million hits for it in July 2007. Wikipedia created a page dedicated to it. According to Jay Rosen, professor of journalism at New York University, many on the left adopted the term proud member of the reality-based community, their blog said. The right then jeered at the left self-description, their reality-based, question mark, yeah, right. The remarks which were probably made by Karl Rove a few months before the Iraq war are not just cynical and Machiavellian, they sound like they come from the theater rather than from an office in the White House. Not content with renewing the ancient problems discussed in cabinet offices, pitting idealists against pragmatists and moralists against realists, pacifists against warmongers, or in 2002, defenders of international law against supporters of the use of force, they display a new concept of the relationship between policies or politics and reality. It's not new. It's not a new relationship. The leaders of the world's superpowers were not just moving away from real politics, but also from realism to become creators of their own reality, the masters of appearance, demanding real politic of fiction. And it's important the public really get their downloading and really, really believe the fiction for approval. That's how governments do it. The first thing for warfare in all ages is to get the public on board. You do it by terrifying the hell out of the public by telling them they're going to be invaded, slaughtered, gassed, or whatever else it happens to be. But we're going to defend you from these nasty people. All done through history. And so the first casualty to say of war is truth. In fact, truth goes before, before the start of the war. They must get the public on board by buys. Quite something. Quite something indeed. And that one from the New York uh, Book Review, New York Review of Books, it says, was volume 52, number 10, June the 9th, 2005. It's called The Secret Way to War. It also has that quote I gave in here. And it's by Mark Danner. It's a long uh, little article here, uh, or page article, I should say. But it's more in detail, step by step, uh, on declassifying stuff to do with President uh, Bush and Prime Minister Blair and Powell and different ones who got together to create this particular war and to try and find appearances for the general public to believe in uh, and legal appearances, not true, true legality, but legal appearances for the public to allow themselves to go into Iraq. It's quite good. 
But that's the real world we live in. The, the world is, is full of deception. It's the same stuff with this uh, changing from uh, global warming to climate change and how we must sacrifice everything now because there's, changing, there's changes in the weather. The weather is always changing. That's why we always had the weatherman to tell us what tomorrow was probably going to be like, even though he was generally wrong. That's quite something, isn't it? Quite something indeed. Now, we'll go to the callers, and there's Rick from California there. Are you there, Rick? Oh, yes. Uh, can you hear me, Alan? Yes, I can. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to tell you and the listeners about an obscure little place that, that very few people know about. It's called Kaya um, Lekera in Mali. It's a, it's a region far north in the country near mm-hmm. a lake where people live off the forest and, and the land. Yeah. And it's far away from the government of Mali. The government of Mali, Malawi, I'm sorry, Malawi, made a deal with, a, with an Australian company called Paladin Energy Limited, a nuclear energy mining company, and to go in there and build this sub-mine and uh, this, this strip everything, a nuclear uranium mine. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, on their website, you go to Paladin's website, they have a shield with a star in the middle of it. And it, mm-hmm. says, and it says, what's in the name on the company? So Charlemagne was a Germanic king who ruled with the assistance of his paladins, a legendary company of knights who formed the elite of the king's army. These paladins later became a source of inspiration for the romantic poets for whom they symbolized the highest virtues of chivalry and honor and valor. The word paladin was originally derived from the early Byzantine era to signify those who are the highest dignitaries of the court and usually referred to lord or chieftain and later a knight errant, a champion on a quest for adventure. Paladin came to describe a person or special group possessing superlative qualities of loyalty, diligence, and honesty, which is firm and united in support of an honorable cause or objective. Paladin is an apt name for a company. So here, here is this very Templar-like company, very, yeah. very, very ominous with their shield, and they're going into this country, and they're, they're, they're basically going to destroy uh, the hope, the people's livelihood uh, of Malawi. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the green energy. That's the new alternative to the... To the well, well I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, <clears throat> I have no doubt whatsoever uh, that the elite themselves, all this stuff with windmills and that's a sham because the, even their own experts tell you that they can't produce enough uh, wattage, etc., to supply the populations. They can't do it. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to use nuclear for themselves. That's the key to it. And the super cities that, uh, that they're going to spring up uh, for themselves. And that basically is in... Uh, the Department of Defense's own projection for the next 50 years. They said maybe 30 years down the road, maybe less, uh, there will be these very high-tech super cities where the working elites um, and, and, and the technicians will live, uh, but they'll be surrounded maybe by savages and barbarians outside, etc. In other words, the world is eventually to fall away to this um, uh, or die off gradually around about them as they set up these brand-new places for themselves, but they won't be using uh, the occasional windmill here or there. They've already admitted in another article, it's quite funny really, uh, that um, the big banks of uh, solar collectors they use for California, you'll see them often on television, there's miles of them, uh, have a 20%, they said they're scared of geoengineering, this is so funny, uh, because it reduces these particular commercial solar panels by 20% minimum efficiency by, by having metallic particles in the air. Now, they could only have done that by, by admitting or, or doing the testing on the present spraying in the air. That's how they know this stuff. And I've got the article here. 
but they say that the, the smaller types of solar panels that are used on houses won't be affected quite so much. But, but yeah, uh, these characters, and, I, and they're even Toshiba, I noticed, uh, a few years ago, and another company, have, have, they can drop you a trailer, a tractor trailer, uh, one of those big long boxes, sized nuclear plant. They can power a city for years, and once it's expired, they simply tow it away, and they can recharge, of course, these particular cells. Uh, this is stuff that's available already to, to power these, these specialized cities that they have, and it's for sale to the, the big boys themselves. No one else can afford them, but they do have, have them manufactured. Well, yeah, I just wanted to point out the hypocrisy, you know, that, that, that uh, this green stuff, that, that this um, global warming push is pushing nuclear energy, and it, it's devastating Africa. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. leaving... Uh, it's actually having a negative, a worse impact on the environment than the uh, carbon uh, emissions, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to ask you a question. Um, I wanted to send you some links to this company's website and to some articles about yeah. about the cryolite carbine. Yeah, um, uh, if, I, if I give you an email with the subject tag Malawi, will yeah. you be able to um, pick it up? Sure, yeah. Maybe you could talk about it on air or something like that. Yeah, I'll have a look at it. Okay, thank you, thank you very much, Alan. Thanks for calling. Have a nice day. You too. And there's Dave in California there, too. You there, Dave? Hello, Alan. Yes. Uh, regarding 1001 Arabian Nights, that mm-hmm. sounds like the 1001 stories we've been told about 9-11, JFK, yeah. the Iraq Wars. <laughs> You've got it, yeah. You've got it. And, and there's more to come from the cave. Hold on, and we'll go into that when we come back from this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Uh, talking to Dave from California. You still there, Dave? Yes, sir. And I had one more comment. We were talking about uh, gold mining and all that. And it kind of goes along with the comment of the gentleman that was just on. Uh, one thing that people have forgotten is that uh, one of the last things that George Herbert Walker Bush did as president was he changed uh, changed a law somewhere that allowed the purchase of the biggest gold mine in the United States, which right. is in Nevada. Yeah. By Barrick Gold, which is probably the biggest mining company in the world, and they're based in Canada, are they not? They are. But do you know who was made uh, top director once Bush left? Yeah, it wasn't Mr. George Bush Walker himself. Bush himself. And guess who was made vice uh, director, assistant? Oh, the Prime okay. Minister of Canada, the ex Prime Minister of Canada. Uh-huh. They, well, they both signed the same deal. That's right. So you're yeah. right. <laughs> and that was just done just as he was stepping out of office. And it also connects with the Iraqi soldiers that were in those 70 miles of trenches during Iraq War Number 1, and they, uh, they buried them alive with bulldozers backed up by tanks flanking the trenches. Yep. And Cheney shows up on the scene right after they, their, their, their big victory, and he was asked, where are the bodies? And he said, quote, what bodies? Mm-hmm. That was cute. Oh, yeah, they, they do love their little sardonic humor. Yeah. yeah. Nice talking to you, Alan. Yeah, nice talking to you, too. Yeah, it's astonishing. And again, the media is so compliant in what they show the public and what they don't show the public, right down to, and it's true, that famous scene when they pulled down the, the big statue of Saddam. And then it was about a few years later they showed you the real truth. They, they, they paid a few uh, passers-by to jump up and down, while U.S. tanks with chains on, on the statue actually yanked it down from a distance. Uh, everything 
it's really illusion, isn't it? Everything is illusion. But just to finish off with the Pharisees and how they can create realities, they used to call a, a good heat wave in Britain a good summer. And it was very unusual, you see, so you really loved it when you got one. Now it's an alert, you see. And this is from the Telegraph. Heat wave, heat wave alert raised to level three. Everything's got a level or, or a color coding, isn't it? It says heat wave conditions have been confirmed across parts of the UK as the Met Office raised the heat health watch to level three for London and southeast England. 1st of July 2009. It's only going to last a few days. So they'll love it. They'll lap it up and turn red. And they'll have their skin peeling. That used to be quite normal. But here's, here's what's so funny about this thing. The experts come out to tell you what to do, how to survive it. If possibly, stay cool. Stay out of the heat during the middle part of the day. Cool yourself down. Keep your environment cool and look out for others, especially older people or those living alone and babies and young children. How to reduce the risk can be obtained from the National Health Service or local pharmacies. They're your experts, you see. No. Chief forecaster at the Met Office, Eddie Carroll, said temperatures are likely to peak today and tomorrow, reaching 32 degrees centigrade before becoming less hot by the weekend, as noticeably fresher conditions with the rise, the risk of showers pushes across the country. Now, they'll probably say at the end of it, you better you know, get your raincoat ready. That's what you wear when it starts raining. Or take an umbrella with you. But this is how dumb everything is now. We can't... Remember what Bertrand Russell said? We can, we'll create a society, a society that can't do a thing without the advice of an expert. And, my God, they must, they're churning them out all the time. So if you're really hot, try and stay cool. Mind you, don't turn on an air conditioner because you're polluting the planet. Polluting the planet. And you're polluting your environment. It's okay for the National Service of Forestries to do controlled burns of thousands of acres and you see billions of tons of black smoke going up but that's holy smoke when you do it in your fireplace that's bad smoke ha 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 you're always learning so from Hamish myself in Ontario Canada it's good night and may your god or your gods go with you